I'm going to use my spooky story voice. Ooh. Should we introduce ourselves first? Hello. <laughs> You're listening to the Odd Sisters podcast. I'm Marcy. I'm Allison. And I'm Julia. What a douche. What a douche. Show you for turning up your headphones. Yeah, bitch. <laughs> she puts her hood on. <laughs> Fuck you. I mean Julia now. I got my hood on. <laughs> I watched Grave Encounters the other night. Ooh. <laughs> got all I tried to condense out. Jane to watch it the other day. But, it is uh, for such a low budget film, and there's some cheesy moments scary. in it for sure. Like there's some parts of it mm-hmm. that I just I'm like I eye roll. Um, but overall, that the feeling of that movie, mm-hmm. what a that's a sad microphone. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I made. Allison. That was so weird. That was really weird. Um, it's that's why it that's why it feels so scary because they didn't have a lot of money to work off of. Yeah, I think. I think so too. I think it worked for like what it was about. Um, yeah. Because you know, like the low budget horror movies can be good like that sometimes when yeah. they understand the limitations and they don't try and like yes. go over. Yeah, exactly. I they feel like know where had, to put the money into like editing and yeah. like you know. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Like the story is always better. You, yeah. Well, you not always. We had this conversation with the uh, <laughs> the colonial the colonial haunting, haunting <laughs> the bank My robbers. Sorry, that's <laughs> <like Carmen>. <laughs> <laughs> Inadvertent oh perfect God, impression. <laughs> um. Yeah. So I I find that movie really really scary. Or like the um the. The haunted house one, um, like the fun house one, uh, LLC. What the hell is that called? What? The is it like it's like dead house or murder house or no? Yeah, yeah. Haunted horror house. Shit. What? Hell house. Hell house. <laughs> hell house. I didn't watch that. Really? Yeah. That's another one that's, that's like the one that Sean thought I was talking about, <laughs> and he watched it, right? Yeah, you thought because yeah. you were talking about Demon House, Demon House. <laughs> but it's actually a good movie. So yeah. okay, I'll um, watch it. And someday. it has the same kind of feeling as that Grave Encounters, where it's found footage in mm-hmm. a way that's like done tastefully, not cheesy, and mm-hmm. it has some really spooky moments. But again, a lot of eye rolly kind of moments. Yeah, but lots of fun. Like the camera looks at something, and then it looks away, and then it looks back, and that thing's moved. Yeah, and for me, that's a lot of, like, I'm sitting there watching it, and, like, I got my pillow what over my head. Stuff? Like, <gasps> oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like those. Yeah, there's one with, like, yeah. a bunch of mannequins where they're like this, and then the camera, like, moves and then looks back, and they're like, hey. <laughs> but they're also clowns. <laughs> yeah, they are clowns. Oh, really? Because yeah. they're building... So they're like us when we were in the haunted house. Yes, that's exactly what it is. That's They're building a, a walk-through haunted house, but in a location that's actually haunted. Yeah. Oh. So it starts fucking with them because they think it's just all this stuff that they're doing. Interesting. But yeah, it was a good... It was a good watch. Huh. So I'm, I'm always excited for this time of year. I can't remember what it's called. There's a good one on Shudder that's like a Zoom call between friends. So they're trying to have like a seance over Zoom. And it's like the same thing. It's like pretty low budget. But it, when shit starts happening, it gets really scary. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, was, oh, no. So it's like unfriended meets like <laughs> Yeah, Ouija, I was going to say, I'm yeah. not like in the whole modern technology meets ghosts mm. aspect yet. Yeah. Um, I like, like I've just been really in that headspace lately, mm-hmm. even though it's not that close to Halloween yet. Yeah, but it's my time. Yet. I mean, we're 
kind of like that all year. Yeah, It just really comes out around like September, October. (laughs) I'll wear a costume anytime. (laughs) So I'm going to tell you a story about a town called Point Pleasant. And anybody that knows this story already knows what I'm talking about, just from that name. Uh, The town of Point Pleasant, West Virginia, sits at the spot where the Ohio and Kanawha Rivers confluence. So there's two rivers and they kind of feed the this into like a like a fork kind of thing okay. and become one. Um, it was founded in 1749 by a French explorer who claimed the entire Ohio River Valley for France. It's a town of little to no significance besides a battle in 1774 that's heralded as the first battle of the revolution. But in 1967, something happened in Point Pleasant that would make it international news. Mm-mm. It's a tiny little town. Like, I know you guys don't really know the story, but have you ever heard of that town? Uh, no. No. Ohio, though, very French. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell. <laughs> Obviously, it's not a French word. <laughs> Neither is Kanawaha. Uh, yeah. Um, I know that I'm saying that wrong. I think the towns, there's some other kind of towns that I might be saying them wrong. You know, like those little, like, local yeah. nuances. On a cold night in November in 1966, Woodrow Woody Derenberger, a sewing machine salesman from Mineral Wells, West Virginia, Woody's his nickname, obviously. Well, yeah. Woodrow Derenberger, is a sewing machine salesman from Mineral Wells, West Virginia, was heading home along the highway. It had been raining and the road was slick. Woody leaned forward in his truck, keeping his eyes on the road and keeping a steady pace. At a long stretch of unwinding road, a car behind him pulled into the oncoming lane to pass him. So, you know, like when you're on those, it's just two lanes of highway, and in order Mm -hmm. to pass, you have to go into oncoming traffic. As the car pulled up beside him, zooming past, Woodrow noticed that it was being followed, not by another car, but by some sort of flying object, a ship. And as it passed Woodrow's truck, it started to slow down and drifted into the lane in front of him. The ship was hovering just above the ground and slowed down even more, coming to a gradual stop and forcing Woodrow to follow suit, pulling his truck onto the shoulder of the road and rolling to a stop. Hmm. So you have a car, and then right behind the car, about 20 feet behind, is just the ship hovering behind the car and, like, following this car. And as it passes Woodrow, it sees him and swerves in front of him and slows down, and the two swerve and slow down to the side of the road. I'm picturing Richard Dreyfus. Yeah. Like Close Encounters? For Woodrow? Yeah. I, you can see, I, I can show you a picture of Woodrow later. He's just kind of like an old man. He's just got like oh. simple. And with the name Woodrow, was he just born as an elderly person? Pretty much. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's one like of those Benjamin names, Button. right? Yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Woodrow felt his heart rate increase. He would later describe the ship as looking like the top of an old kerosene lamp, oblong with chimney on top. So, you know, like the kerosene lamps, like the old ones mm-hmm. like this, and then the top of them, like a minor one. Yeah. You have the handle and it kind of has the top part that's the chimney and then mm-hmm. it goes down as a shield over top of the lamp. Yeah. That's what he said it looked like. So that oh. kind of weird shape with the top chimney. And I'll post... For anyone that doesn't know what that is, you can Google kerosene lamp. And the top part that's like a metallic part on the top, that's what he said the ship looked like. Mm-hmm. I feel like I don't need to post a picture of a kerosene no. lamp. <laughs> <laughs> I refuse to do it. <laughs> it's beneath me. 
<laughs> the headlights of his truck hit the side of the craft and reflected off of it, and Woody watched as a door on the side swung open on side hinges, just like a car door, and a man stepped out. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Very normal. He lowered his feet to the ground, and as soon as he was clear of the ship, the craft flew straight up into the air and hovered about 80 feet off the ground. Woody leaned forward and watched it and then glanced back to the man who was now walking in front of the car towards the passenger side. He was dressed in a blue jacket made of a shiny material that re reflected off of the headlights. It was half undone, and underneath he saw he was wearing a shirt and pants, both a lighter shade of blue than the jacket. There was a large black belt around the man's waist, and when lo Woody looked at his face, he noticed two large eyes and a very big grin. As the man approached, Woody heard him ask, sorry, as the man approached, Woody heard him ask to roll down the passenger side window, but he noticed that the man's mouth never moved. He just kept grinning that big toothy smile. <laughs> Woody leaned across the truck and rolled down the window, sitting back in his seat as the really? man approached. Brave. <laughs> right? Like, fuck no. Fuck <laughs> off. <laughs> the man had his hands tucked under his arms and he looked at Woody through the open window. What are you called? The man asked again without moving his mouth. Woody told him his name. Well, I'm called Cold, the man said. He then asked Woody why he was scared. We mean you no harm, he said. He asked Woody what he did. Woody told him, sewing machine salesman, and Cold told Woody that he was, quote, a searcher. He gestured towards the lights in the distance and asked Woody what it was. Woody told him that it was a town, and Cold asked him if that's where his people lived. Where we live, Cold said, is called a gathering. While he was talking, his mouth... Like Coachella? Right. <laughs> gathering, man. While he experience. <laughs> While he was talking, his mouth never moved. And when he gestured towards the town, Woody would later say he didn't point, but he gave the impression that he was pointing. His hands remained tucked under his arms and his grin fixed and unwavering. So I'll show you a picture of what cold looks like Ooh. from a drawing. Ah, yes. Looks like the Joker. He does. He does. Yep, that's interesting. It makes me think of the, the bug guy in Men in Black. Yeah. He's wearing an Edgar suit. <laughs> uh, so we can yeah. talk about this a little bit later, but Men in Black is completely based on and borrowed from this story. Ah, see, it makes so much sense. Edgar suit. Great movie, by the way. Yeah. Just as a side note. <laughs> <laughs> I just like to profess my love for that film. It is a great movie. It is. I watch it all the time. After Woody had answered all of Cold's questions, the man said goodbye and thanked him for his time. We will see you again, he told him. And as he walked away from the car, the ship, which had stayed hovering above the truck in the air, descended back to the ground. The car-like door opened again and Cold climbed in. Woody remarked that when the door closed, it actually sounded like a car door as well. Hmm. Weird. Especially in, we're in 66, right? So mm -hmm. it's a heavy, Loud. yeah. <laughs> and then they had to roll down the window. Yeah. They had to roll down the window, like <laughs> yeah. actually roll it <laughs> with a handle. Yeah. Kids these days. Yeah. They don't know rolls. <laughs> I don't know, I'm sorry. The ship <laughs> flew up into the sky and was gone. Woody sat there for a moment, shaking, and eventually pulled back onto the road and drove home. He told his wife what had happened, and then, when she went to bed, he sat down and wrote down <laughs> everything he could remember. Sorry. That's nice, Woody. <laughs> yeah. I just started thinking about that other car. How long was it chasing the other car? And that driver was like, nope. 
<laughs> will not stop. Will not turn away. <laughs> Let's circle back to that later. The oh. next morning, he went to the police and told them everything that had happened. Woodrow was a well-respected man in his small town. Everybody knew everybody, and they believed him. They got him in touch with the local news station, and Woody very quickly found himself sitting down in front of the cameras telling his story to everyone. Hmm. So they did, like, a full airing of it the next day. Wow. He saw this thing. The next morning, he went to the police, and by that afternoon, he was on the news telling his story. It's the difference between being a respected person in society and having something like this happen to you versus, like, I don't know, someone who's maybe a little bit more down on their luck being like, I saw an alien. Yeah. They're like, okay, sure, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's what happens most of the time. Pretty much. Yeah. Well, you can actually find this interview on YouTube. We can oh. post it. He's a very reliable witness. He doesn't exaggerate. He's calm. He sticks to the facts. And there are several references, several times he references the same thing. And his story never wavers. It always stays true to what he said. So there's a couple times where he says, says something about cold. And then he'll be like, he did this. And then the interviewer will ask. He'll reflect back on that question, like, while down the road. And he says... I said that. He did this. Like, there's no... Yeah. He's not remembering... He's remembering what happened. Like, you can... There's a mm-hmm. difference between someone remembering a lie and someone remembering an experience. Yeah. yeah. So, it's very... It's very it's interesting. Like the, it's like an Allison's... Something happened to him. In Allison's one, when we were talking about the kids by the... For sure. The... Not military. Yeah, the RAF base. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, and they were like... Yeah. Like, for children, they sounded so sure. Yes. And that's, that's again, the well-spoken, well-respected mm-hmm. individual that really has nothing to gain by doing this. No. They have a place in society. They, they're doing their thing. There's no reason for them to do this thing that they're doing yeah. unless they had an experience. Mm-hmm. So, one of the people who hood, hood, <laughs> one of the people who heard Woodrow, that's a hard thing to yeah. follow. Who heard Woodrow. Who heard Woodrow's <laughs> interview. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> was a woman named Mary Heyer, who was a reporter in Point Pleasant, West Virginia. She, like everyone else, was intrigued by Woody's story, but even more so because Mary had received a very strange phone call the night before. So she's watching the interview on TV. The night before, she received a phone call from a man who said that he had met cold. The man called Mary and said he had been driving along Route 77, the same road Woody had been driving, when he encountered a strange vehicle that had been hovering above the road and pulled in front of him, forcing him to come to a stop. The man described the person who had exited the ship, matching the description of cold that Woody had given, except that he said his coat was gray, not blue, but could be a common mistake at night. Yeah. Um, but he also remarked on the shiny material. The man told Mary the same things that Woody had said to the newspaper reporter how the man had a fixed smile, how his mouth never moved, how he asked strange questions about the area and the time. He said he didn't seem to know where he was, but also when he was. Mm-hmm. He said that he was called Indrid Cold. Mary hadn't thought much about the conversation <laughs> until she saw Woody's interview and realized that the two men had encountered the same man on the same Why night. Why did the other guy get a first name? I don't know. <laughs> Weird, right? We're best friends. <laughs> <laughs> Me and Woody, we're only like casual acquaintances. <laughs> you get my first date. <laughs> she called the man back wanting to talk more, but when the son, his son answered the phone, he told Mary that his father had been confused and mistaken. He doesn't know what he's talking about, he said. Nothing <laughs> happened. He doesn't, he didn't see anyone. Don't call us back. Oh. Oh. Yeah. Conspiracy. Mary was confused, but sightings of injured cold weren't the only thing that she was hearing about. 
Mary was getting calls from all over the Ohio River Valley of strange things happening. People weren't just seeing grinning men in shiny, in shiny coats. They were also seeing monsters. Mm-hmm. On November 14th, about two weeks after Woody had his encounter with Indrid Cold, a man named Merle Partridge, best name in the whole <laughs> world, Merle Partridge was inside his home watching TV when suddenly there was a strange noise that emanated from the television right before the power cut out. His dog, Bandit, was on the porch and started making an awful racket, so Merle went to go see what was, hap- what was getting him riled up. He grabbed his shotgun and headed out onto the porch. As you do. Bandit was barking in the direction of the barn where Merle saw two large red glowing eyes in the dark. He froze. And yeah. men named Merle who own shotguns and dogs named Bandit don't freeze in terror very often. <laughs> but Merle couldn't move. Bandit ran off towards the barn, and he couldn't follow him. He called out, but the dog was gone, and he watched as the two red eyes disappeared. The next morning, Merle went down to the barn, following Bandit's tracks. Near the barn, the dog had walked several times in a large circle, and then, by all accounts, vanished. Merle never saw him again. The next night, four teenagers, Roger, Linda, Steve, and Mary... They're, I said teenagers. They're referred to as kids a lot. I think they were actually in their like early 20s. I don't think they oh, were okay. like teenagers. They're like a couple of kids. A couple of kids, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, they were out for a drive on the outskirts of Point Pleasant. They were north of a town near what's known as the TNT area, which is a wildlife preserve that's been sectioned off and, temporarily, and was temporarily used to store ammunition during World War II. Large cement bunkers, now abandoned, dotted the area, and teenagers often used it as a, pl- as a place to hang out. <laughs> I mean, you got mm-hmm. a big abandoned bunkers and yeah. nothing to do in Point Pleasant, I'm there? assuming. It's dynamite. <laughs> <laughs> I wish your hood wasn't up so you could have pulled it up after yeah. saying that. I could just pull it close. <laughs> <laughs> Hide my shame. Yeah. The kids had just left the area, driving back down to town, when Steve looked out the window and saw two huge red eyes looking at them from the side of the road. What is that? he yelled, pointing at the head as the headlights illuminated the creature. It was tall, about six or seven feet, and a dark gray color that looked at, with a shape that looked almost manlike. But as the car passed it, it tried to run after them. And its legs were weird. It started wobbling like it couldn't keep balance, but almost immediately spread its arms, revealing them to actually be huge 10-foot-long wings and proceeded to fly after the car. <laughs> That's so much fun. Right. Like, that would be so fun. It's like like the Jurassic Park when the T-Rex starts chasing the car. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. You got to get that, like, the one shot where it's in the, like, in the, rear the view mirror. mirror. Yeah. But, like, the wobbly yeah. shot. Like, that's such a weird description because this gets scary. But to start it off like that, like, it yeah. tries to chase them and, like, can't run. It's wobbling all weird. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, whoof, these huge, like, 10-foot-long wingspan yeah. comes out. And it immediately catches up with the car. Linda screamed, it's following us. Hurry. And Roger sped up. The creature was gliding from side to side over the back of the car, keeping pace as Roger went faster and faster, over 100 miles per hour. The kids were screaming, and in the space between their yells, they could hear the creature's wings hitting the top of the car. Later, when they pulled over, there's actually scratches all along the car, on the the roof and on On the the back of the car. Wow. They kept driving as fast as they could towards the lights of the town. Roger veered, veered quickly, thinking he was about to hit an animal, and Linda looked out the window to see an already dead dog on the side of the road. 
Is it Bandit? <laughs> On the outskirts, the last farm before town, the creature veered and flew off into the fields <clears throat> as the car peeled into the downtown street of Point Pleasant. They pulled into Tiny's Diner, a local hangout, and talked about what they had just seen, deciding to call the cops. <laughs> I like how they went to the diner well, first. Because I mean, you need that scene, right? Where they burst in and <laughs> yeah. they're like, oh my God. And then they sit down and they're trying to figure out, like, did we just see that? What did you see? What did I see? Yeah. Did we all just see that? Like, they're all scared. Four cups of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> you do need that scene. Yeah. <laughs> the deputy didn't believe them at first, but he knew something was up. These were good kids. And like Woody, everyone knew everyone. They weren't well respected, but they'd never yeah. been in trouble before. They'd never, nothing had yeah. ever happened. So he was like, okay, what's going on? Yeah. So he went with the kids back to the TNT area to investigate. Linda remarked on the way back along the road that the dead dog they had narrowly missed was actually gone. The deputy didn't see any creatures in his search of the area, <laughs> but his radio kept picking up strange sounds and he saw some weird shadows circling near the trees. <clears throat> Sorry. They called. They called in a night and returned back home, but the kids were too scared, so they stayed at their homes, turned on all the lights, stayed at one of their homes, turned on all the lights, and stayed up all night. Linda kept remembering the creature's legs. You could actually see its muscles, she said. Mm. Like big, muscly legs. But it couldn't care, but they were wobbly. Mm -hmm. hmm. Interesting. The next day, <laughs> he had a, a very tough leg day at the gym. Yeah. <laughs> he was just like, oh, oh no. man, I wasn't ready for a so run. Sore. Too many squats. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe they were just too small. Like they were muscular, but they were like disproportionate. Mm -hmm. Maybe. Huh. I don't know. Like birds have <laughs> long legs, <laughs> but they don't okay. run very no, well. No, no, no. I just liked how long legs was a question. Long, long legs? legs. <laughs> The next yeah, day, yeah, they don't. They yeah, because they're, they're like so. <laughs> Can like, you imagine if birds had muscly legs? Oh That'd be great. <laughs> that has to be a picture somewhere, <laughs> like the ducks with the muscly arms. Yeah. Or whatever. Yeah. The next day, Marcella Bandit. Nope, Marcella Bennett. She's not the dog. <laughs> <laughs> the next day, Marcella Bennett and her brother Raymond um, were visiting their sister, who lived in a tiny bungalow near the TNT area. When they got to the house, they realized that their sister and her husband had gone and left the children at home. They stayed for a while with their nieces and nephews and then left, walking across the front yard towards their car. It was about 9 p.m. Marcella was carrying... <laughs> what year is it? 1966. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah you like leave children word. at home. Yeah. yeah. I was like, I love how that wasn't a red flag. Because, no. yeah, you, you used to just leave your kids alone. Yeah. It was about 9 p.m. Marcella was carrying her two-year-old daughter, T Tina, in her arms, and Roger stopped... Oh, sorry, that was a terrible constructed sentence. And Roger stopped her with a hand on her shoulder. Look at those lights, he said, pointing to the sky above the trees that edged the yard. Roger, stop. I don't want to look at some lights, she said, and <laughs> kept walking towards the car. <laughs> the leader said she had a smoke, like she had a cigarette. Yeah. Uh, I imagine her like trying to like light the cigarette while carrying her daughter, because again, it's 1966. Yeah. And he's like, look at these lights. And she's like, fuck off. I'm doing like six things. Yeah. Like fuck out of here that's pretty great no stop look at this he said that's not a plane she ignored him and reached the car fumbling with her keys lighting a cigarette and as she unlocked the door she caught a glimpse of something at the corner of her eye it was hunched behind the car but it raised up as she noticed it at first she saw a man's legs muscled and huge and covered in gray feathers but she didn't see any feet 
Marcella slowly. Oh, there's raised. the problem. <laughs> <laughs> I think we just found out what happened. <laughs> Marcella slowly raised her eyes up, noticing a huge set of wings that were drawn down towards the creature's body and then up towards its head, which was tilted sideways like a bird's. So like kind of like tucked in. Yeah, like, like an like owl a, or yeah. Marcella was frozen with fear, unable to turn around and run. Her eyes were fixed on the huge creature. In the distance, she heard her brother yelling at her to run, but she couldn't. And he was too scared to come get her. So he's like screaming at her and she's frozen and they're all just like yelling. She can hear the kids yelling from inside the house. Finally, she managed to turn. But when she tried to run, it was like her body didn't work. And she fell to the ground, cradling her daughter under her body as if to shelter her from the creature. She screamed as the pavement cut into her hands and legs and face, and the cigarette that was in her mouth burned her arm. The pain was like a bucket of cold water, and she pushed herself up, running as fast as she could to the porch and back into the house. Inside was pandemonium. All the children were crying and screaming, and Marcella laid on the couch, tending to her wounds while her brother phoned the police. "'It's at the door!' yelled one of the children, and she looked up to see a large shadow on the front porch behind the door, heard strange squeaking noises and the creaking of the floorboards." By the time the police showed up, the creature was gone. This time, the police didn't hesitate to believe what they were hearing. Marcella was very wounded and almost hysterical, just like the kids in the car had been. And she was describing the exact same creature they had. That, coupled with the lights in the sky that Roger had seen, made them think of Woody Derenberger's story about the man in the spacecraft. Words are hard. Uh, Something weird was happening in Point Pleasant. Mm -hmm. Really weird. Yeah. Like, those are two weird things to happen. Yeah. Two men on the same night without talking to each other that they'd never met each other before say they mm-hmm. meet this man, give the exact same description of him, and then a week later, yeah. you have three sightings of this huge monstrous creature mm-hmm. that's chasing people and... Yeah. Got no feet. Got no feet, apparently. <laughs> What's with the feet? It didn't take long before cryptid hunters and UFO enthusiasts flocked to the tiny town. Everyone hoping We're to have here. a run in. Yeah. <laughs> so many, like, just boxes of things, documents, yeah. and Polaroids. And <laughs> um, UFO enthusiasts flocked to the tiny town. Everyone having, hoping to have a run in with Mr. Cold or what the newspapers were now calling the Mothman, named after the Batman villain who was part moth, part man. So the Batman series had just started airing on TV, and the Mothman was one of the most recent mm. villains, and mm. it fit with the description. So that's what he's named after, which is why I thought it was interesting, because you said Ingrid Cold looked like the Joker. No. It's like, too many Batman references for this. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, one of those enthusiasts... <laughs> In the UFO, they were picking up that broadcast. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. And he was like, oh, that's what humans look like. Yeah. This. I am normal. <laughs> <laughs> Um, one of those enthusiasts was author and ufologist. Is that how you say it? Like a sure. ufologist? Ufologist? Yeah. Ufo. Or ufologist. Ufologist. <laughs> um, John Keel, who partnered up with Mary Heyer, the newspaper reporter who had been contacted about the second sighting of Indrid Cole. Mary had reported on everything that had been happening, and she took John to interview many of the witnesses, including a few that had been too scared to come forward to the police. One day, while Mary and John were going through some interviews they had done, Mary received a phone call from one of her nieces, oh, so from her niece's boyfriend, a man named Keith Aker, who told Mary that her niece, Connie, was really upset and wanted to talk to her. She's really scared, he said. She saw something. I don't know what. Mary invited Connie to come and speak with her and John, who remarked that the first thing he noticed about Connie was that her eyes were red and swollen and watery. 
she had conjunctivitis. He asked her how long she had been afflicted by it, and he, she told him that, she, sorry, she told John that it happened after she saw the creature. It's basically pink eye, but like I in was both her eyes. Crusty. Yeah, so they're like fully red all the way around her brow and the yeah. eye itself, and they're watering, and she's like, they're itchy, and she said it happened as soon as, like, as soon as she saw him. She, by the time she got home, hmm. she had she had this. Connie had been driving home from church and was passing the Mason County Golf Course, deserted at that time of year. Remember, it's November. Yeah. Um, when she saw a large man dressed in gray standing in the grass. He was very, very tall. And as she saw him, he slowly turned towards her and unfolded his arms, revealing them to be huge wings. Ten foot long, she said. It flew up into the air and straight at her car. So it went right over the front windshield, like right at her car. Mm -hmm. Those eyes, she said, they were very red. And once they were fixed on me, I couldn't take my own eyes off them. She was basically in a trance. It's a wonder I didn't have a wreck, she said. She claimed that the creature flew towards her windshield before veering off and disappearing. Instead of stopping or pulling over, Connie stepped on the gas and sped home, locking herself in her bedroom in a complete state of hysteria. Those eyes, her boyfriend said. She couldn't stop talking about it. All she could talk about was its eyes. Connie is also the only witness to have claimed to see its face. She said it was something like a science fiction movie. It was horrible, she said. In 2001, the documentary... Yeah, she's the only person who's seen it, and that's her description of it? That's so vague. Well, <laughs> Connie's hard to talk bummer. to. In 2001, the documentary, <laughs> The Search for Mothman, asked Connie to speak with them, but she was still too scared. She won't talk to anybody about it. She, not a single person. Keith, who is now her husband, did the interview and said, saying he wanted everyone to know I'm that Connie wasn't crazy, saying he fully believes what she saw. It really fucked her up. Yeah. Like, she's not been the same since. The sightings of the Mothman increased after that, along with sightings of lights in the sky. And Woody actually claimed to have been visited again by Indrid. Things in Point Pleasant were getting very, very weird. John Keel had been investigating UFO phenomenon for a while now, and he had established contacts all over the world. People who had been involved with or experienced sightings of extraterrestrials. His time in Point Pleasant wasn't consistent. He came and go as things happened. But in the late summer of 1967, John started receiving messages from his contacts outside of the Ohio River, who were all receiving messages about the Ohio River Valley. They'd never heard of Point Pleasant, but for some reason, they were all talking about it. And all the messages were the same. Something bad was going to happen. The messages John was receiving started to get more and more frequent and urgent as summer gave way into fall. Something's going to happen at the power plant on the river. I keep seeing the river. I saw water and I heard screams. Those are the kind of messages he's getting. So the... So not messages you listen to late at night. <laughs> no. <laughs> As the messages became more urgent, so too did the sightings of the Mothman. At this point, it's hard to separate fact from fiction. It's actually been theorized that with all the press and pandemonium, Point Pleasant was now suffering from mass hysteria. Yes. Yep. I thought the same thing. But that's us looking back on it with hindsight. And at the time, in the thick of it, it seemed like a powder keg ready to explode. So it's getting more and more and more. And I saw him here and I saw him there. We're up to like 100 sightings of this thing by this yeah. point. And again, it's hard to separate mass hysteria and the hoaxes and the exaggerations from the people actually seeing him. But it seems like it's amping up. Yeah. In November, a year after Woody had met Indrid for the first time, Mary Heyer called John and told him that she had had a dream. She had heard screams and saw wrapped Christmas gifts floating in rapid waters. 
Something's bad's going to happen, she said, echoing all of the messages John had already heard. And she told him she wasn't the only one. The people who had seen the Mothman were also having the same dream. Water and screams and packages floating down the river. So now it's all just hmm. pinpointing itself. <laughs> but what of the children and their toys? <laughs> the Silver Bridge was built in 1928 and named for the coat of aluminum paint that coated its structure. It spans the Ohio River, connecting Point Pleasant with West Virginia. <coughs> sorry, connecting Point Pleasant, West Virginia with Gallipolis, Ohio. That's one of those ones I'm pretty sure that's not the yeah. pronunciation, but Gallipolis? I don't think it's as sophisticated no, as that. Sorry, Ohio. Uh, it's 2,235 feet long. On December 15th, 1967, during rush hour and one of the busiest shopping days of the year, the bridge was packed with traffic. Cars crawled along its span to and from Ohio, but what the commuters didn't realize was that at some point on the Gallipolis side of the bridge, a small crack had formed in the structure, which had started to erode. And as more and more cars joined the traffic, and it slowly came to a standstill, the bridge was unable to accommodate the weight, and that little eroded crack caused one of the suspension chains to snap. Without the suspension to hold it in place, the bridge collapsed. Cars plummeted into the freezing waters of the Ohio River, resulting in the deaths of 46 people, two, oh, two of whom were never seen again. After the collapse of the bridge, the sightings of the Mothman became less and less frequent with less and less believability. Some think that any sightings that actually happened after the bridge were actually hoaxes and that the Mothman had left. <laughs> he was like, this place is so unsafe. <laughs> Getting out well, of here. Again, we build up, we build up, we build up, and then something bad happens, mm -hmm. and then he's gone. And the fact that all of those people that had had that experience were having dreams, and people that had had... He was like, I was here to warn you about infrastructure. <laughs> no one listened. <laughs> There's not enough government funding. <laughs> right to your mayors. <laughs> Tell them Contact to Contact your congresswoman. <laughs> Sorry, 66. Your congressman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no one knows what was actually happening in Point Pleasant in 1966 and 1967, mass hysteria or premonitions, but either way, the people who encounter this creature still swear to what they saw all these years later. Ingrid Cole has been, has been linked to the Men in Black, a group of men who seemingly show up before and after extraterrestrial activity. No one knows what his story is or how he's connected, but the sightings of him and the Mothman started being reported in 1999 in Russia, right before an explosion in an apartment building. So somehow, Indrid Cold, the Mothman, and Disaster are all linked. Huh. John Keel wrote a book called The Mothman Prophecies in 1975 about his experiences with this case. It is fantastic. It has so many interviews with people. He really went fully into this. Like, mm -hmm. it's a well-researched book. It's not theorized it's him talking to people and yeah. in that town experiencing things. Uh, it was turned into a terrible movie in 2002, which I don't recommend watching. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, and I have a picture of... Sorry. Show us what the Mothman Moth looks like. I don't have... Well, oh. It's very... It is very um, what you think. Yeah. What do his legs look like? Like, they're just like... A man with wings. And yeah, okay. Eyes kind of thing. Okay. That yes, seems yes, to be yes. most of. He's yeah. actually a character in some kind of game because when you look him up, it's a lot of like fan wikis for like a D and D type thing. So I feel mm -hmm. like that whole mythological creature thing became a a storyline for something yeah. like that. Um, but here's the bridge that 
collapse that's on the Ohio side. Oh, shit. So, and the Ohio River is very big. It's a yeah. very big river, especially where that was spanning. Like 2,000 feet is uh, lots of feet. So, um, one <laughs> of the things. More feet than the has. <laughs> <laughs> one of the things that was being theorized by skeptics at the time was that they said the description of what was they people were seeing matched the description of a sandhill crane. So this is a sandhill crane. And Does it I have don't, red eyes? Because it has red on its head, right? I just don't see somebody seeing that and then coming up with the description of a <laughs> seven foot weak. tall man with That's big muscly weak. legs and like yeah. it's very weak. And something that was like chasing a car at a hundred miles per hour. Yeah. Are they as big as a heron? The, yeah, basically. Because okay. where I live, I have walked around and actually had like a heron like fly like four feet over my head, and they're big. They're and it big. was shocking, but I definitely would never describe you it. You weren't as like just ten foot no. wingspan and no. like no. and like that fear red that eyes. In you. And just because you have red on your head doesn't mean it's gonna glow, glow. in the dark. Exactly, like, and almost all those sightings are at night, except yeah. for Connie. Yeah. So, I had. I, a flock of herons flew over my head today while I was walking the dog. There were seven of them, and it, we are. There are, <laughs> what it was intimidating, like they're big birds, but not fear instilling. No. Again, we know what it is, and it's not nighttime, but still. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's really interesting. And Indrakul, they're almost like two separate stories, but at the same time, the fact that they happened at the exact same time and led up to this whole thing is. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Like you have Woody and then a week, two weeks later you have the Mothman kicking off. Um, and they're linked together a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I just find them really, both of them really creepy. I uh, don't like the idea of injured, 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 cold showing up like at Woody's house after. Like Woody showed, so the thing is with Woody. <laughs> he's just like. Hey, man. <laughs> yeah. So, the th- oh, sorry. I was going to go back to the car. It's also been theorized that that car. So the when you hear men in black stories, there's commonalities between people that have encounters with the men in black. And one of them, which falls into the movie, are the black sedans, mm. the black sedan cars. <clears throat> and so it's it's been theorized that the car that Indra's ship was following was a men in black car. That it was a black sedan and that somehow the two of them are linked together. So when Mary Heyer called that man back and his son was like, don't call us back. He was mistaken. She went to his house later and was like, the fuck? <laughs> What's going yeah. on? And she's just like this like 1960s. Like she's like an old woman when yeah. this is happening. And she's got these like horn room glasses. And I just imagine her just like severe reporter. Like we'll do anything for a story. Yeah. So she goes to his house and he talks to her and says a man showed up the next day. Like, he called Mary, he left the voicemail, and by the next morning, first thing in the morning, before the sun had even come up, this car pulled up and this man came to the house, and they assumed that he was from the local university. He didn't ever ever say who he was, but he was just a man in a black suit, black hat, and he had this conversation that was like, you didn't see anything. Don't worry about what you saw, you didn't see anything, you didn't have a conversation, that was nothing, it's nothing to worry about, don't worry about it, don't talk to anyone about it, don't have this conversation, just... Leave it alone. You don't have to worry yourself. So when Mary called back the next day, her son was like, don't. We don't want to talk to you. We didn't see anything. There's nothing here mm. kind of thing. So the whole story is very like you have the prophecies and Indrid and the men in black and the UFOs and it all just like links together. Yeah. Like there's so many things happening like in the story. Exactly. 
there's so many layers to it that come in with cryptozoology and men in black theories and ufologists and it's all it's so many layers yeah and also it's creepy as fuck it's really creepy but I don't know what I would do if I saw, like, a seven-foot-tall thing with wings. That would be very scary. And then it chased you? Yeah. Because it seems menacing. It's not like people are just seeing it. Like, Sasquatch never chased anyone, to my knowledge. <laughs> no, he always just walks away. Yeah, he's just doing his thing. He's just yeah. walking. He's like an animal. He's like, yeah. the fuck yeah. you doing in my space? But he doesn't chase. Those are goals not... for life. Don't chase things. Just, just walk away. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But this is very, like, it's chasing people. It's yeah. yeah, yeah. pursuing in a car. Killing dogs. There's a lot of actual... The, the bandit's not the only one. There's a lot of reports of, like, pets and things going missing or being... Um, seeing the Mothman and, like, their pet is gone. Like, mm-hmm. it's very... It seems to eat the dogs, <laughs> sadly. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Hmm. We had that conversation at the end of your episode, and I realized that you had no idea what it was, and I was like, how does Allison not know this story? I have heard about it briefly, but I wasn't, I had never heard the full story right. of it. Well, that's not even the full story. The John Keel's book is huge. There's so many interviews yeah. and sightings. And the movie is, they cast Richard Gere. They turned it into like, there's a relationship with this thing. What the fuck? With the Mothman? With the no, Mothman? No. Oh. The Mary, the, <laughs> the Mary Hire character is. Oh. Um, Just let me in, Mothman. Yeah. <laughs> Why won't you let me love you? <laughs> What's the redheaded actress's name? Um, Julianne Moore. Yep. Um, it's Julianne Moore and wow, she, it. she plays the Mary Hire character. And like I said, Mary Hire was like an older woman and John Keel's just this like ufologist oh. nerd so it's very overweight. Hollywood. So like, it's just, it's very Hollywoodized. Yeah. And they make a relationship between the so two be, and it's like you're saying a it rush where it's like something bad's going to happen. And then they're on the bridge and it's just like, they're on the other side of the bridge. And, oh God, oh I just my fucking God. hate it. I hate it. I hate wow. it so much. <laughs> that sounds terrible. It's just awful. And it's interesting. Some people really like it because there isn't a lot on this story that is visualized. Like there's no real like. (laughs) Is there a sex scene where they pan out and Mothman's at the window? (laughs) Watching them. (laughs) Just fogs up. Well, he, he come, they combine the, so the Connie story of it flying towards the windshield. They take that story. They make it a pre thing so that Richard Gere's character is driving with his wife and the Mothman flies towards the car and she crashes the car and dies. So he has a like, she says what she saw before she died, and then he's Spends now his whole late, life chasing exactly, after. And now he's like, "This the is the thing that, that she, kills his This wife. is the thing that she saw, <laughs> and it's just like you don't oh need that. Just because you cast Richard Gere, first of all, why? <laughs> Second of all, why? <laughs> like, but like, it's it's disappointing for sure. Wow. But I highly recommend that book. So Woody becomes kind of an unreliable. Woody starts off as reliable. Yeah. I'll post the interview somewhere. Watch it. Get too much attention. I think, my personal theory, Mm. uh, because there's not very much information out there about this, but I think my personal theory is that (laughs) Woody was suffering from early onset dementia. Mm. I'm not saying that injured cold didn't happen. Yeah, I think that that did happen. I think he did have an encounter, but I think that it triggered something because him saying that Indrid comes to his house. So Woody co-wrote a book later called The Visitors from Beyond. 
it's a name, like it's a made up name of whatever Indrid's planet is. And at one point, Indridsville, Indridsville, <laughs> Ohio, he's sitting in his living room with his wife and she goes upstairs to like get changed for bed. And she comes back down and Woody is gone. He doesn't come back for six months. <laughs> Just fucking disappeared for six months. And when he came back, he said he was with Indrid on his planet, that Indrid took him in his ship and took him to his planet and he learned all these things and he's written a co-written his book he said that injured came back several times to like sit down in his home and talk <laughs> to him his family says that they saw him they straight up were like this man came to the house and saw him but did it happen for six months to happen it's it becomes yeah. it just becomes so dodgy for me like at yeah. first it's like he is that reliable person and they're like wow this shit happened and watch the interview it's really like it's just a man talking about some weird shit that happened to him there's no like mm-hmm. well, grandiose anything it's a conversation yeah. and it's really bizarre and it's really weird but i think that something made it happen to his brain that just made it be because he probably was having a conversation with a man and he maybe he did go somewhere but maybe it's like was it that yeah mm-hmm. Was it? Yeah. Or was he yeah. just going through some yeah, it could be kind trauma. Of mental breakdown or something? Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting how also like the the accidental kind of part of it makes it more reliable. Like just that he's driving down the road and he happens to see this thing and then mm-hmm. it stops and then he gets out and he has the conversation with him. It's like, okay, like that was weird. But I could see that happening. But then when it's kind of like the like targeted at you, he's coming back and he's taking you to his planet and all that sort of stuff. And it's like you you repair sewing machines. Yeah. Why are you? <laughs> what this are person's you doing? Contact. Yeah. It's kind of an interesting. You don't know. Sewing machines could be a really big but thing on his I guess planet. They could he could be, be like a dime a dozen. But but, but it does but, make it lo- less credible when suddenly it's like you're the chosen one, Woody. Exactly. Come to my home planet. And that's the Don't thing tell that we were wife. talking about when we were talking about alien abductions and stuff, where it was like, why you? Why is this alien, this higher being, why like, why isn't it like the president that's like, I lost 48 hours of my life and I think I went to yeah. another planet. Why is it these unimportant Because they have security. <laughs> <laughs> I just mean like someone with actual information on the yeah. ins and outs of this world yeah. versus somebody yeah, that's it, ill-educated and... It makes sense if it's the idea of like the that you're being studied, that it's kind of like being done like aliens don't want us to know that they're doing this, so maybe they are purposely yeah, picking up people like that. But in the case like of that. Woody, but it's like it's an information yeah. exchange. Then and it's like why? Who's gonna believe Woody? Maybe that's the point. No one's gonna believe him. Yeah, maybe. Anyway, <laughs> interesting. The Mothman. And again, I'm gonna I, make, I am very much like as far as like premonitions and that bridge was going to collapse. Like the bridge is going to collapse. I'm not saying there's there's necessarily a connection between the two. It's not like the Mothman shows up and the, like that was a ha- thing that was happening. It had been happening over years and years and years with just disrepair. Like you said, the Mothman's coming to warn us about infrastructure <laughs> yeah. and government funding. And like it makes it funny, but like, but like it's going to happen anyway because yeah. of those outside sources. It's just a weird thing to have phenomena like that happen and then a tragedy happen. It yeah. somehow yeah. justifies it. Yeah. And it makes it folk. It, it's not just like for three weeks, a bunch of people saw the Mothman, and no, it's a year. It. It's, it's a year, and it increases in activity closer to the bridge, and then the bridge, and collapses. then the bridge yeah. collapses. But it makes it more memorable too. 
People still go there. people out of it, I think. They're like, oh, like actual tragedy. Yeah. <laughs> not just, not uh, just some weird creature yeah. chasing kids. Um, people still go to the bunkers too. And there's like, they've been, they've done movies and documentaries and trying to find, because they think that it lives there. All of the, the, all of the sightings are around that area. TNT. But also it's a nature preserve, right? So yeah, it's a low population and. So you don't get to pick and choose what nature you're preserving. So <laughs> yeah. there might be a Mothman in there. There might be a Mothman. <laughs> Who knows? You're saving all of them. You can't just pick and choose. Also, well, I want to do a Mothman Prophecies movie where somebody falls in love with the Mothman. Yes. That's yeah. what I want to see. Yeah. <laughs> be great. You know, Richard Gere, Richard Gere still around. You're not doing much these days. <laughs> I see a <Let's>... potential. <laughs> yeah. Mothman Prophecies too. Wow. Anyway, <laughs> thanks for listening, guys. Uh, hopefully that wasn't too long and it was nice and spooky for you. I Lead thought up it was to Halloween. I think it was spooky. I was trying to let you just go yeah. <laughs> and not interrupt yeah, every five Julie seconds. Yeah, Julia and I were both pretty quiet in that one. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> hopefully that worked. We don't do that very often. Scary. Okay, thanks for listening, guys. Bye. 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 Happy Halloween.